Um, I want you to look outside. And may not be able to, if you're sitting right there, you might not have the best view. But I want you just to take a look at the city for a moment. And we just sang a song about God bringing healing to broken lives and how he rescues the lost and, and saves people, forgives people of sins and takes brokenness and fixes it and makes, his, makes them whole. And as you look over the city, how are we going to get that message out? How in the world are we going to do that? How, how do you get the message that Jesus has given to us to a city? like the city we live in. How are we going to do that? I want to talk about that this morning. I want to ask a a question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? I mean, why do you get up in the morning and go to work, go to school, maybe because your parents make you as far as the school thing, right? Or the government makes you go to school. I don't know. But but why? why? Why go to school? Why go to work? Um... Why are some of us going to watch two 0-3 teams battle today? You know, why are you a Bengals fan? Why am I a Browns fan? I mean, seriously, right? I mean, why, why do we do what we do? It's an, it's an important question. I mean, why did the, the Highland Heights Living Community at 7.30 this morning go downtown and feed, what, almost 25 people? Uh, homeless down downtown Cincinnati. Why did they get up early? And why did they last night put all these different breakfast burritos and bags together and go get Jimmy John's to donate um, different breakfast sandwiches? And why did six, seven of them get together in this morning and, and go down there and, and feed uh, the homeless this morning? Which is really awesome. Why, why did they do that? How many of you are familiar with TED Talks? Are you familiar with, the te- with TED Talks, some of you? There's uh, one of the most popular TED Talks is given by a man named, and I think this is how you pronounce his last name, Simon Sinek, I believe. It's one of the most powerful, one of the most watched TED Talks ever. And it's, it's on the theme of discovering your why. If you've never watched it, I would encourage you, it's 18 minutes, watch it, it's really powerful. And he talks about discovering your why. And, and his whole premise in the talk is that people don't buy into what you do they buy into why you do it. Because why you do it really shows what you, what you believe. Really, what you do is, is, is kind of an, it reveals what you really believe, why you're about what you're about, why you do what you do. And as it relates to us as church, and we're in this series, We Are a Living Church, and we're concluding that series this morning, why, why do we do what we do, church? Why are, why are we about reaching the city. This past week I was rereading a book and it's a book called A Gospel Primer and I actually ordered 60 copies. It's so good. And uh, they're coming this week and it's just kind of an adapted version of the book. The book's small in, in itself, but I'm going to give those out next Sunday. Um, but in that book there's this quote, the statement that the author makes that I re- read this week and it just... It's like, this is our why. I read it like, this, this is our why as the church. Not just living church, but as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, this is our why. And this is what he had to say, and it's all about the gospel. And, and he says this, he says, No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. 
No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. Think about the implications of that truth for your own heart, for your own life, for why you do what you do. If, if that's true, if no one could love you more or better than Jesus, then if you're trying to get some kind of love that will satisfy you from a relationship or a career path or whatever it might be, no matter what it is that you're trying to seek love from other than Jesus, it's always going to leave you wanting. It's always going to leave you longing for more because there's no one that could love you more or better than Jesus. So I want you to think about that for a moment, and, and I want you to turn the statement, rather make it about you, make it about your neighbor, your classmates, those students at NKU, the students in the school where you attend. Think about it. Now let's turn the statement a little bit, and let's read it. This, no one could ever love them more or better than Jesus. No one could ever love my neighbor more or better than Jesus, my classmates my co-workers, the students of the school I'm trying to, to reach. No one could ever love them more or better than Jesus. Think about the impact of that statement and that truth could have for that neighbor that's going through divorce and her hearing that. Or think about the impact of that truth uh, that, that maybe if a, a classmate or a student that's going through depression, hearing that, hey, I want to tell you about someone that that loves you more better than anyone else. And his name is Jesus and he's changed. Think about the impact that that truth could have. Think about the impact that, that that truth and that reality that no one could ever love them more or better than Jesus could have on that coworker who thinks they've just messed up their lives so badly. I mean, their past is so stained with guilt that they think God could never, ever love them. Think about the truth of telling that individual, listen, you may feel that way, but I want to tell you that there's someone who loves you more and better than anyone else, regardless of your past. And Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, For if we were, he says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about the, the way that's worded. While we were still sinners, while we were sinning, Christ died for us. While, we, while you're sinning, let's, let's bring this home a little bit. While you're looking at porn, no one will ever love you more or better than Jesus. While you're having that selfish pity party and it's all about you, no one will ever love you more or better than Jesus. While you're yelling at your kids or at your spouse, no one will ever love you more or better than Jesus. While you're lusting after another man's wife or another wife's husband, no one will love you more or better than Jesus. How do we know this? Paul tells us. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's love. That's love. That's a message not only do we need to hear, 
But the people you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you live next door to, that's the message they need to hear too. That no one could ever love them more or better than Jesus. And I have to tell you that. I have to tell my neighbors this. That's our why, church. That's why we go. As I said, we're in this series, We Are Living Church, and up to this point, we've seen Jesus tell us that we're unstoppable. Hell itself can't stop the church. We've seen that the church is needed, that God uses His people to accomplish His mission of getting this message, the good news of Jesus, to the nations. We've seen that when God does something through His church, that we just celebrate that. And last week, we spent time talking about What we do as a church and what we do is we make disciples. We make followers of Jesus. And and last week, we kind of dug deep into that. We looked at why we make disciples. What is a disciple? And we talked about four practices that are involved in in the how-to of making disciples. And and we gave you kind of a a tool, and there's extra copies in the back. We gave this to you last, last Sunday morning, and it's basically those four practices and we told you to go home this week, spend some time through this, talking about it and, and looking at your own life. Maybe you use it personally. Maybe you want to use it as a family to just talk through how are we making disciples in our home? How am I making a disciple personally? And I, I, told you I'd follow, I told you last week that I would follow up with you this Sunday to see how it went. So I'm going to ask, did anyone go through this this past week? And if so, would you be willing to just kind of share with us how you used it. Anybody? Let me, let me back up. Did anyone do it? Anybody? All right. Okay, some, a few. Okay, we did. I mean, it's something that we... Now, there's the teacher in me. It's like wanting to like say something, and I'm not. I'm just not. I think you know what I'd say, but I'm not going to say it. No. Um, so Wednesday, we got together as a family. We sat down. Wednesday night is usually our family worship night. So one or two nights in the whole week we're all, where we're all home. Okay, it's very few. As the kids get older, working and all that stuff just gets more difficult to be at home. So what we did was, and I, gave, I made copies, and I gave each one of our kids one of these. And we talked about it. And I said, I want you to go somewhere in the house, take five, ten minutes, and I want you to work through this. Now, for the younger ones, a little bit more difficult than for the older ones, but that's fine. We talked through it with them. And it was great for me, personally, because I had to evaluate my own life. And I said, am I really sharing the word with my family? Are we really doing this? Are we really in the scriptures together? How am I doing at sharing life with my kids? And that's the one that really hit me. And so I just wrote down some different ideas, things that I wanted to do. And one of the things I put in here is I just want to find something every day uh, to encourage my kids in. And just praise them about something. And so that was intentional. So I, I did that. And then we did the sharing mission. What are we doing together as a family to live out the mission of Jesus? And, and so we talked through that a little bit. And then the sending. And we talked through all of that. So um, I'll just, I'll just ex- expect that this week we'll just kind of keep working through this. All right, and, and I really do want to encourage you. There's extra copies in the back to take this. It's, it, this isn't about homework. Okay? This, this isn't about checking boxes. This is just about helping one another follow Jesus. It's a tool. That's all this is. But when you look at Scripture and you look at Christ and you look at how he discipled his disciples, you look at the first century church, it included these things. They were in the Scripture sharing the Word. They shared life together. They lived out the mission of Jesus together. 
and they were intent on living out like missionaries. And so I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to do that this week, all right, as we seek to make disciples, because that's what we do, church. We make disciples. And the truth I want us to see this morning is this. The last truth I want us to see as it relates to us as living church is this. Living church, not only are we unstoppable, needed, celebrate, make disciples, but the other truth I want us to see about the church is this, is that we multiply churches. We multiply churches. And I want to take the next few moments, and I want to kind of treat this more like a, like a class, if you will, and show you from Scripture where we get this. Why we're all about the 26 by 26 and having 26 house church living communities. Why we're all about the pastor's pipeline, training and equipping pastors to, to lead and, and, and shepherd house church living communities. Because I think we see this in Scripture. So the truth is that not only do we make disciples, but we, but we multiply churches. Now, remember what Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 28. What does he say? Go what? All right, go make disciples. That's not an option. It's in the imperative, so it's a command. So if you're not making a disciple, you're sinning. Moving on. All right, so, and he, said, he tells us, go make disciples. Where does he tell us to make disciples of? Of all nations. Go make disciples of all nations. Nations. He says the same thing, just in different words, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will be my witnesses where? To start where? In Jerusalem. That's locally. Locally. In your own city, where you live. Jerusalem. Then in Judea and Samaria. That would be more like the tri-state area. You need to be proclaiming the gospel, making disciples in the tri-state area. Then globally, to the uttermost ends of the earth, he says. So that's the mission. The mission is make disciples, right? The vision is to the nations. Well, how are you going to do that? How did they do that? And that's what I want us to see this morning. I think we see in Scripture, and that's why we call ourselves really a first century church for the 21st century, because we're just doing what the first century church did. Making disciples, multiplying house churches, because I think it's through that that those first disciples accomplished Jesus' mission. That's how they got the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the nations, was through multiplying house church communities. So if we could go to the slide with the map, if you see that on there, let's go ahead and go to that slide. I want to just kind of take us through this this morning and help us see that what we see is the multiplication, not only of disciples, but the multiplication of churches. And in Jerusalem, Peter gets up and he preaches this message about Jesus, that no one could ever love you more or better than Jesus, and he proved it through his death on the cross and his resurrection. People respond to that message. They say, what do we do now? Peter says, you need to repent, and then you need to, de- to declare publicly that you're surrendering your life to Jesus, and you need to do that through baptism. And I want to challenge you, if you've never been publicly baptized, you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you were little and you did it and you had no clue what you were doing, I want to encourage you and challenge you to be baptized to publicly declare that I have surrendered my life to Jesus and I am declaring my allegiance to Him. And if you would like to be baptized, talk to your living community pastor, talk to me this morning. So it all begins in Jerusalem. Disciples are made. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And it starts to grow right there in Jerusalem. And in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, this is daily. Dude, they were going to church every day. 
day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. So here's these first disciples overwhelmed with this love that they've received from Christ, this forgiveness, this wholeness of soul. And they're like, we got to get together. We got to come together. So we don't have church buildings. We kind of go to the temple, but we're going to meet in our homes. And it starts there. And then from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 13, what you see is this good news of Jesus start to go north. So it starts in Jerusalem, Israel. Then it moves north to a different country, to the country of Syria. And in Acts chapter 13, you see some house churches gathering together there in Antioch, Syria. And they get together and they say, hey, we believe the Holy Spirit's calling on us to send out our leaders to start more house churches, to get the gospel to not just our city, but to the nations. And that's exactly what happens. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and I'll pick it up in verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So here you have it starts in Jerusalem, moves north to Antioch in Syria. The churches get together and now they're sending their leaders out to go proclaim the gospel, make many disciples and start these house churches. Well, how do we know that? Because if you go to Acts chapter 14, where we've been the past couple Sundays, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 23. We'll pick it up in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, about Paul, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to a city called Derbe. When they preached the gospel to that city, made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church. So here's what's going on. The church begins in, in, in Jerusalem. The gospel moves north through the disciples. They're, when they move into different cities, they're preaching the gospel. They're making disciples. These disciples are gathering together in homes, and now they're sending out themselves. They're sending out their leaders to, to go do this in other cities. It moves north to Antioch, Syria. You go west, and now you're in Asia. Cities like Ephesus, Turkey. Paul goes there, and then you can see in the, some of the other travels that so it's starting to, get, to move, move around to the nations. It starts in the Middle East, goes north, Syria. Now you're in Turkey, in Asia. And he says, appointing elders for them in every church. Well, what's that tell you? It tells you that every city they went to, the churches were forming. These house churches were forming, and they needed to have leadership. And that's what they're doing. And it not only reached from Asia, it goes all the way to Europe. It even goes down to the island of Crete. Titus chapter 1-5, that's a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to one of his missionary team members, the apostle, um, to Titus. And this is what he says to Titus in the very beginning of it. Titus 1.5. He says, this is why I left you in Crete. This is why. So here's your purpose, Titus, right here. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Paul writes this letter and he says, Titus, I want you to make sure that every town has pastors leading it. Now, Here's what, if, if you do a little study on, on Crete, Crete was known as the island of a hundred cities. So if Paul is telling Titus, you need to make sure that there's pastor, lead, pastor leadership, pastoral leadership in every city, how did they get the gospel throughout the island? Through multiple, I mean, that tells me that there's, there's churches in every city on the island of Crete. That had never heard, people that had never heard the gospel before. How did they do that? 
by going into the city, telling them about Jesus. Disciples are being made, and they're forming these house churches, and it just keeps multiplying. They reach an entire island through this. Because Paul tells them, I need you to appoint elders in every town. And then it eventually goes all the way to Europe, goes into Italy, and all the way goes back to the capital of the Roman Empire in the first century, the city of Rome, where Caesar lived. And how do we know that? Acts chapter 16. And maybe you say, but man, that's Paul. Paul is like this. I'm not Paul. I mean, he was like this missionary giant. I'm just little old me. I go to work every day. You know, it's hard. It's just... Well, I want to introduce you to a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And we read their story, a little bit of their story in Acts chapter 16. So if you're there, read along with me. I encourage you to go there, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. A little bit of background on Aquila and Priscilla. They were Jews living in Rome at the time. The emperor of Rome basically banned Jews from the city. So Aquila and Priscilla, being Jews, are forced out of, their, out of Rome. They become Jewish refugees. And so what they do is from Rome, they go over to Corinth, Greece. And they're business owners. You can read about it in Acts chapter 18. So they just go to work every day. They get up, they go to work every day, maybe had a family. And so now they're being forced out of Rome as Jewish refugees. They go to Corinth, Greece. And that's where they meet up with the Apostle Paul. And so now they kind of join the Apostle Paul's missionary team. And so they set up a house church there. They start a house church in Corinth, Greece. And you know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. All right, and he talks about, or you know this from Acts chapter 18. So they set up a house, they start a house church, a living community in Corinth, Greece. And then after that goes for a while, they, they move with Paul to, the, to Ephesus, to Asia. And you can read that they started a house church there, a living community in, in Ephesus. And they discipled a guy named Apollos there. You can read all about that in Acts chapter 18. And they're just people like us, husband, wife, team. They go to work every day. They do their deal. They have kids, put them in school, who knows what. But they just, they know that this is what they're to be about, about making disciples, multiplying the church, getting this good news of Jesus to as many people that will listen. And then what happens is they go from Rome, forced out of Rome, Corinth, Greece, Ephesus, Asia. Now they go back to the hometown of Rome. They go back to the hometown of Rome. And Paul writes this in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, about Aquila and Priscilla. He just basically tells them, hey, greet the church that meets in their house. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, this is Romans 16, verse 1, a servant of the church, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Now Paul is writing this to the Romans. So he's writing this to a group of Christians living in Rome. And he says, greet also the church in their house. So here's this husband and wife saying, we're committed. We've been so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that we've received that we can't help but tell people about it. We'll open up our home wherever God sends us and we'll have disciples come and gather and we'll seek to help them grow and learn how to follow Jesus. We'll do it in, being forced out of Rome, we'll do it in Corinth, Greece. We'll go to Asia, we'll go over where God wants. We'll even go back to Rome, our hometown, with the threat possibly of death and we'll even do it there. 
It's how I believe the first century church, those first century disciples, accomplished Jesus' mission was through the multiplication of these churches all throughout the first century. And it starts in the Middle East, goes north, goes west, all the way to Europe. In his book, Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark, who I've referenced this book before, he says this about house churches in the first century. He says, archaeological evidence shows that from very early days, house churches were clearly identifiable. The neighbors would have been entirely aware that these were Christian gathering places. The neighbors would have been aware that these were Christian gathering places. That was kind of convicting when I read that, because I thought, do my neighbors really know what's going on when we have house church living committee in my house? It's been a while since I've really invited them or talked to them. I don't know what they think now, honestly. But that was convicting to me. Because the Christians, they weren't hiding it from their, their joy in Christ. They were like, no, we're all about this mission, about what Jesus has called us to. And why do I share all this with us? Because I think it's important, because I think it reveals to us how the first century disciples accomplished the mission of Jesus, to get the good news of Jesus to the nations. You need to know why we do what we do as a church. This is why we're all about starting and multiplying new house church living communities because it's how we see in the first century the first disciples getting the good news of Jesus to the city. It's equipping you as a disciple in the good news to go to your neighborhood and tell people about Jesus, to live at work so people can see Jesus in you, to go to the campus and have people see Jesus in you. It's why we do what we do. That's why, let me share with you what we're going to do this Easter something completely different. We will not be having an Easter Sunday morning service here at Damar. What we're going to do instead is we're going to take Easter service to the neighborhoods. That's what we're going to do. What we're planning to do, we've talked about it as living community pastors, is this, is probably one over in Anderson, in our yard, we're going to set up a little tent like you might take to the beach or something like that. I'm going to invite my neighbors who say, Easter Sunday, I want you to come to my house for a breakfast brunch. And so you come hang out from 10 to 10.30, bring whatever. We're going to hang out together. There'll be a little Easter service, 20 to 30 minutes, some familiar church songs if you know any. All right, maybe a little talk from the Bible. But we just want to bring Easter service to you. We want to love on you. And we might do one in our neighborhood. We might do one in Erlanger, maybe by NKU. We've talked about doing that. Because can we be, just be straight up for a moment as far as honest? How many of us actually have invited someone that doesn't know Jesus to come to Easter that's actually come? Number one, have we invited? Number two, if we've invited, do they come? Jesus said, Go. So we're going to go. Might as well. I mean, he says, go. go. Go to your neighborhoods. Go to where you live and love on people and tell them that no one could love them more or better than Jesus and let them see that and how you live and how you love on them and share that message with them. So that's our plan for Easter. On Good Friday, we're actually going to get together just us as a church at a place called the Garden of Hope, which is kind of a replica of the tomb, the cross. It's in northern Kentucky. We're going to have communion and a prayer service in the evening on Good Friday together as a church and pray together that God would move on Easter Sunday. I'm pumped about this. Why do this? Because it's how we're going to reach the city. It's how we reach people with the good news of Jesus. 
I mean, our, our mission and vision statement is this, and we say it this way, our mission is to make disciples who know Christ, live Christ, and make Christ known. And we do that through the multiplication of house church living communities locally and globally. You need to understand that everything we do as a church is moved, is pushed by the mission Jesus has called us to. It's why we do prayer gatherings. It's why we have prayer walks. It's why we do Serve Cincinnati events. It's why we give you a tool called these four practices things so you can learn how to be a disciple of Jesus and grow in that and make disciples. It's why we have living communities so you don't do this alone. You do it in community with one another so that you can experience the spirit and power of God in your life as you go live this mission because he promised when you move out on mission, you'll experience my presence. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's why we do this Sunday gathering thing. It's so that you can be equipped in the truth so you know what you need to know so that you can go out and love your neighbors the way Jesus told us to love them. That's what this is about, to equip you to be the missionary, to be the disciple that Jesus has called you to be. That's what our Sunday gatherings are for. It's why we do the pastor's pipeline. It's why we bring Kyle on board part-time so we can have someone to to help equip these, these pastors to plant and start these house churches. It's why we do what we do, and I just think it's important. It comes back to our why, discovering our why, right? This is why we do what we do. This is why we make disciples. It's why we're all about starting new house churches and living communities because I believe it's what we see in the, in the New Testament. It's what we believe the strategy of the first century church was, and so why, why don't we just give it a go and see what God does with it? Jesus said we're unstoppable. He said we are needed. He said we celebrate. We make disciples. We multiply these house churches. Now, If you're like me, you hear all this and you go, so what's this mean for me? (laughs) So what? Here's a question I want you to think about. If we could put that on the screen, that'd be great. If you're a disciple, right? And Jesus has told you to make disciples and multiply house churches, then what impact or effect should that have on how you see or live your life? There it is. If the church is about making disciples of Jesus and those disciples multiplying churches, what effect should that have on how I see and live my life as a disciple of Jesus? My time, my priorities, my relationships. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the next minute. I want you to talk about this question amongst yourselves. Go for it. If the church, which means me, if I'm about making disciples because Jesus told me to and multiplying churches, What effect does it have on my life? Talk about that together. The church is about making disciples, and those disciples multiplying churches, what effect should that have on how we see and live our lives as disciples? Caleb. Okay, it pretty much just changes your whole entire life. Why do we do this? Why Why do we make disciples? Why do we multiply churches? God loves us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That no one could love you more or better than Jesus. And when you get a hold of that, when your soul experiences that, it compels you to share that with the city. It's what Romans 5, 8 and 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. God shows us love for us, that we were still sinners. Christ died for us, for it's that love that compels us, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is why. 
It's our why. Because Jesus loves you more and better than anyone else, and he proved it to you on the cross. And it wasn't he died for you while you were trying to be a good dad or a good mom or go to church or read your Bible. He died while you were sinning. love. He died while I was sinning. And so I'm going to pray and we're going to take communion. And as you take communion this morning, I want it to be, remind you of your why. I want it to point you to Jesus because that's really who this is about. In remembrance of me, Jesus said. And so as you take the bread and you take the cup or you dip the bread in the juice, Let it remind you of your why and this great Jesus that loves you more and better than anyone else. And we have a whole city that's desperate to hear and receive and experience that love. This is why we go. This is why we're here. And after you take communion, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you. We usually don't do this at the end, but maybe God's just putting on your heart. You got someone coming to mind that you want to pray for. That's just in your network of friendships and relationships. And you just want to, maybe on your own, you just want to pray for them. We put a few chairs up here to face the city. Maybe you want to come and kneel or just sit and pray for someone in your network of friendships that needs the Lord, that needs Christ. Maybe you want to get some people together from your living community. You just want to pray together and ask God to use you to have boldness to share this love of Christ with the city around you. Maybe you need to confess sin. Maybe you've been so self-absorbed about yourself and your own thing that you've just forgotten the good news and the love that Jesus has given you that needs to be shared. But after I pray, make your way in time to the communion tables. I'll be in the back if you need to pray with someone. Maybe you're here, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've grown up in church all your life, but you've never encountered or experienced that deep love of soul that Jesus provides. Right where you sit, just confess that sin to him. Invite him to come in. And he will. But this is our why. Lord Jesus, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. For it reminds us of the love that you have given to us, that you've poured into our hearts. And Lord, it's just a great reminder, Jesus, that no one could ever love us more or better than you. And now you've called us to go share that with a world in need. Lord, thank you for loving us while we were sinning, forgiving us, freeing us, and bringing us to your table, bringing us into your family, moving us now as a church to take this love, to take this, and and to share it with others, to move with the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.